Well, Happy New Year. I am so glad to be back. Um, thank you for giving us a few days away. We had a wonderful time. But I also want to say thank you to Josh. I was listening to him preach. He did a good job. And so thank you, Josh, for what you did. Today, we open our scripture to the gospel according to St. Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 13 through 17. My friends, this is the inerrant, infallible, unchangeable word of the living God. It is bedrock to us. It is life. Will you please stand for the reading of this holy gospel? Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Today, you and I join churches, congregations all over the world, certainly not all over America, but all over the world, as we um, take a moment and pause and remember the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the passage for today. There are seminal events in Scripture, particularly in the Gospels, that we must be sure never ever to forget but soak in as best we can the birth of the Lord Jesus, the death of the Lord Jesus, the Holy Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, yes, but also the baptism of the Lord Jesus. Matthew and Luke make it plain that this is important. Would you bow your head and pray with me for a second? And now, O oh God, give to us wisdom to hear you. Give to us ears to hear and eyes to see. Above all, give us the mind of Christ in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, it was a Tuesday morning. It was a bright, clear Tuesday morning, and I was gathered with a, a group of preachers. It was a meeting. We were in a, in a meeting, and we were at a break in the meeting, and knowing that we would soon be preaching on, on baptism, among us, we began to sort of talk informally about the subject, you know, kind of getting opinions from others and hearing what others are doing and so forth and so on. And we got to talking about our favorite baptism story. Would you believe me if I told you there are some doozies out there? There are some doozies out there. I've participated in one or two of them. 
The most unusual, the most humorous, the most bizarre baptism we'd ever done. We talked about that among us, and we all agreed that Wayne Brown won the contest, hands down. A number of years ago, Wayne Brown was the pastor of First Methodist Church in Minot, North Dakota. One day, the telephone rang, and it was a woman on, on the phone, and she was calling about having her children baptized. Now, you need to know this is the kind of thing that occasionally happens in the church. We get a call from someone who's had a baby. They've put off baptizing the baby. They suddenly realize they haven't done that, so they call the church. That happens in the church. Well, in this woman's case, she had had a child, and then three years later, another child, and then three years later, another child. So now she has a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and an infant. And she realizes that she really does want to acknowledge God's blessing and protection upon them, even though she herself is not a very um, church-going type person. She hadn't brought her children up in the church, but she realizes this is something that's important. And so she called the church, asked to speak to the pastor. Wayne came on the telephone and she said, and I quote, Are you the reverend? Wayne said, I'm the pastor of the church. She said, I want to get my kids fixed. That was the language. I want to get my kids fixed. Well, he, <laughs> he knew immediately that he needed to have a conversation with this lady, so he called her in, and they talked about baptism and what it meant and reverence and responsibilities and, and all that. Well, the Sunday morning arrived, and the time came for the baptism. And Wayne went forward and to, to the baptismal font, and he uncovered it, and he began to talk about baptism. And he began to talk about what it means, all the things they'd gone over in their previous meeting, you know. So he goes through the ritual and, and, and begins to um, get ready to do the baptism, and the family comes forward. There's the mother. She has, she has an infant. She has a three-year-old that's trying to hang on to her. And she has a six-year-old that's dutifully walking right beside her. And by the way, grandmother was invited too. Everything went well in the ritual until the time came for the actual baptism. Wayne reached for the baby. You know how... Preachers will reach for the baby. He reached for the baby. She handed the baby to him. He dipped his hand into the water and he placed his hand on that child and said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May God bless, preserve, and keep you now and forever. And he handed the baby back to the lady. Perfect. Flawless. Everything went fine. Then he reached to get the three-year-old, whereupon the three-year-old said, No way! Well, sometimes preachers don't know what to do next, you know? 
But the six-year-old boy, the six-year-old little boy, he was the typical eldest child, you know, responsible and taking initiative. He said, let me go, let me go first, preacher. And so the minister said, okay, we'll baptize you then. So the six-year-old kneels down and the minister places the water on the six-year-old's head and again pronounces the words of baptism. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everything went perfect. Then the boy stood and the minister again reached for the three-year-old, whereupon the three-year-old screamed at the top of his lungs, No! And he began to bolt down the center aisle of the church as fast as his little legs would go. He's bolting down the center aisle of the church toward the narthex. And did I mention there are times when the minister doesn't know what to do next? But again, the six-year-old was prepared for the moment. He, said, he looks up at him and says, I'll get him for you, preach. And with that, the six-year-old dipped his hand into the baptismal font. He got a big thing of it. And he got a big thing of it. And he started chasing the three-year-old. And he started just throwing water all over the three-year-old, just throwing it at him. And the grandmother turned to the minister and said, Does that count? And Wayne Brown shook his head. And he said, Yeah, yeah, I guess they're all fixed now. I don't know if there's any connection, but shortly after that, Wayne Brown went to be the pastor of a Methodist church in Las Vegas, where I suspect he did some bizarre weddings rather than baptisms. At any rate, we get more questions about baptism than just about anything else, except maybe when people talk, want to talk about the Holy Catholic Church. There's a lot of confusion about baptism. There are lots of differences in beliefs among Christian bodies. In this church, we receive a lot of people into it by profession of faith. We receive one, two, three, four, five, six, seven new people at 9.30 today at the service at 9.30. We receive them. And we welcome them into the body of Christ here. But we receive people who come by professing their faith. They've not been a, a Christian before. They've never been baptized or professed their faith. And so they have questions about it. They want to profess their faith. There are other people who come from other denominations. And they have questions about baptisms because the denomination from which they came had a different practice than we do, you understand. So folks have questions. I have come to and am continuing to come to the conclusion that we in the church can no longer assume anything about people who come into the church. We can't assume things. We can't assume people know and can recite the Apostles' Creed. We can't assume that. So we make sure it's, we make sure it's there. We can't assume that people know the Lord's Prayer. We can't assume any longer that people know what's in the Bible or where to look for anything in the Bible. I mean, a bird in a hand's worth two in the bush. It's, that's somewhere in the Bible, right? It's not, by the way. And so I've decided this year 
in my preaching, I'm not going to make any assumptions about you. You may know what I'm talking about like the back of your hand, and it may be old hat to you, but I have to take into account that in this culture, more and more people know less and less about the church and the Bible. I have to take that into account. And so on this baptism of the Lord Sunday, I want to share with you and try to answer three questions I get more than any others about baptism. And they are, how, when, and why. How, when, and why. First of all, how do you baptize? What's the, what's the proper way to baptize? And the answer to that question is, there are three common modes or, or methods of baptism. Three. There is sprinkling, which we most often do, and which, by the way, is done more than any other form in, throughout the world. There is sprinkling where we will take the water and we will place it on the head of the individual, the infant or the uh, youth, young adult, whatever. We place the water on their head and we, and we pronounce the words of baptism. Then there's what's known as pouring. And it's the least common of all the methods. This means the minister pours water, usually from a pitcher, over the head of the person being baptized. And this can occur in the church or in a, some standing body of water like a river or stream. The third me uh, method or mode of baptism is immersion, also known as dunking. And that means the person's entire body is submerged under the water. Now, here's the point of division. There are many Christians who believe that immersion is the only valid form of baptism. And one of the reasons they believe that is because they make the assumption that Jesus was immersed. So we must raise the question, was Jesus immersed? There's a very, very good chance that he was. But there is no absolute definitive answer to that question. Read your Bible. The Bible isn't clear. The passage that's relevant is the one I read for you where it says Jesus came up out of the water. This is after he was baptized. What we aren't told is how far into the water he went. Whether he went ankle deep or waist deep or whether he was in fact completely under the water. And though the Bible doesn't answer that question definitively, I think we can safely say that our focus in baptism is not on how much water. You hear me? It's not the amount of water that matters. It does matter that the water cover the person, which, by the way, is the reason when we baptize... 
we put it on the head of the person as opposed to the hands or the feet. It does matter that the water is placed on the head, in, uh, symbolically covering the body. It's not how much water, because what? The water is symbolic. The water itself cannot save us. It is only the sacrificial, atoning death of Jesus that saves us and makes possible a relationship with God. It is not the amount of water and it is not the mode of baptism. I've known people who have gone in, they've been baptized one, two, three, four times, whatever, and they still have drifted away in their relationship with God and all, anyway. It's not the amount nor the mode of water in baptism. Here's the second question. <clears throat> when do we baptize? This is another major point of division among Christians, primarily over infant baptism. Is it okay to baptize a baby? Is that okay? Most Christians, incidentally, most Christians in the world would say yes. But many Christians say no. And then if you do baptize a baby, there's the question of what's the right term? Is it baptism or is it christening? Which is it? I hear lots and lots of people use the term christening. And I love them, and I would never in a million years in any way try to correct them in that moment. But the right word is baptism. There's no such thing as christening. I mean, I mean, well, actually there is, but it involves a bottle of champagne in a ship. But if it's a baby, it's baptism. Now... Let's go down into the weeds a little, so if you're with me, say amen. amen. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why is it okay to baptize a baby? Our relationship with God is dependent upon two things, and two things only. It's dependent upon grace and faith. Actually, principally, grace. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, it is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own effort. There's nothing you and I can do to have a relationship with God. All we can do is respond to what God's already done for us. We can say yes or we can say no it's God's grace that provides the initiative out of heaven. God, descend, God comes to us, descending on us with his grace, his love, his forgiveness. The love of God, which is always for us and not against us. Listen, please. God is not the celestial policeman out to get you. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that he is for us, not against us. But grace 
means. Now, there are a lot of dollar and 75 cent words you can throw out here. And my thinking is, like my mother used to say, pooey. Grace means the undeserved love, mercy, and forgiveness of God. There it is. Grace is the undeserved love, mercy, and forgiveness of God. Now, I want you to, well, I won't go there yet. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, we can say at any age, God's grace is extended to you even when you're not aware of it. We Methodists claim kinship with Mr. Wesley. And Mr. Wesley introduced to us this concept called prevenient grace. Wesley said, God's grace is reaching out to you before you're ever aware of it. Ah. It doesn't wait until we initiate or get aware of it. God's grace is reaching out to us and seeking to have a relationship with us. Therefore, we can affirm that even about little babies, that God's grace and love is extended even to this infant in a way that only God can do. Now, listen carefully. That does not make the baby a believer. It doesn't make the baby Christian. That only occurs when the person reaches the age where he or she can say yes to Jesus Christ. In the church, we call that what? Confirmation. It's when that young person reaches an age where he or she can say yes to God and therefore complete the relationship with a faith answer to the grace of God from someone long ago saying, I will, we will bring this child up. And then there comes that moment when the young person says, I'm aware of sin and I'm aware of right and wrong. Confirmation. The word confirmation simply means to make firm. That's all it is. Making firm the commitment by parents and loved ones. That's why we hold confirmation classes. That's why it's really, really, really important. Now, is it okay to be rebaptized? My answer to that is you never have to be rebaptized. Because baptism is a symbol of God's love for you from the beginning to the end of your life. And you never have to use that symbol again. But cities aren't going to sink into the sea if a person is rebaptized. So we've looked at how we're baptized we've said there's three ways that happens we have looked at when we're baptized and we've said that can occur at any point in life because God's grace is extended to us always now we come to the last question the really important one why baptism why do we baptize what does it mean well it means lots of things. We've talked about grace, the act of initiation into the body of Christ, and our acknowledgement that you're part of the family of God. Baptism is about forgiveness. 
when it's a young person or an adult, it's about receiving the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, but baptism is lots of things, and that's why it's important. But I want to close today's message and let you dig down with me. I want us to look for just a second at the baptism of Jesus. That's where we started with the scripture, so why don't we come back to it? Let's look at the baptism of Jesus because I think that gives us our greatest understanding of what baptism is and what God's trying to say. We generally think of baptism as an affirmation of our repentance. You know what we say, right? You know, it's an outward and visible sign of the inward and spiritual grace of the Lord Jesus. It's an it's a affirmation of our repentance, our forgiveness, and our cleansing. But Jesus was baptized, and that didn't have anything to do with repentance because Jesus had nothing to repent of. It didn't have anything to, be, to do with forgiveness because he had nothing to be forgiven for. It had nothing to do with cleansing because he was already clean. So what happened? <clears throat> what happened when Jesus was baptized? We're told that immediately after his baptism, the Holy Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. Now listen, sometimes you'll go to churches and you'll see, or on chrismon trees, you'll see the symbol of a dove, right? In churches, the dove is always descending. The dove is not ascending. But that is a, that's a visible reminder of the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus as a, as a dove. And then it says, God spoke. And when God spoke, the heavens the angels in heaven quieted down. And he said, This is my son. With him I am well pleased. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. So, if Jesus committed no sin, and if he had nothing to repent of, and if he was already clean because he was of the Father, why was he baptized? Well, the truth is there are lots of answers out there about that, and there's lots of speculation, and you can Google it till the cows come home, and you can hear all, see all kinds of things. And I'm grateful for all that information out there. I really am. In fact, it appears that even John... The one who baptized Jesus was confused about why, doesn't it? Read the passage again. The passage we read says, John said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. Why do you ask me to baptize you? But if all those other things are true about why Jesus would not be baptized then, or did not need to be baptized, then why? Here is why I believe Jesus was baptized, and I believe it can be supported in Holy Scripture, which is our authority. I believe Jesus was baptized because it was a clear 
declaration of his identity. The scripture says that at the moment Jesus was baptized, as he was coming up out of the water, again, the Spirit descended upon him, and God spoke and said, This is my son. In a different way, you and I are sons and daughters of God. We're not perfect. But your relationship with God doesn't depend upon you being perfect because if it did, no one would. God says to us, I love you. I claim you for my very own. Yesterday, at 3 o'clock, I performed the funeral for a young woman, 28 years old. She had been in a four-year battle with leukemia. And the church and community had been praying for her. And I did what preachers do. I I got together with the family and I said, share with me some information about her. Give me some information. And she had been fond of posting on Facebook all these things. So give me a little information about her. And they sent me 60 pages of notes from Facebook. 60 pages. Still got them on my desk. Here's what it boiled down to. This young woman had been in the fight, in a fight for her life. Oh, and by the way, four months before her diagnosis, she'd given birth to a baby. She was now in the fight of her life. And it involved, it involved treatment. It involved all these things you have to take. It involved trips to Houston. It involved coming back. It involved all the sickness. It involved all of that. So I began to read some of those posts. And it began to paint a very, very interesting picture of her because there were some common themes. At the lowest and most difficult and painful time in her life, she would still say, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm holding on to his hand. He's going to see me through this. And she would say things like, I I know things have been tough for me, but there's many people who are a lot worse off than I am. And she would talk about them. And she would talk about over and over and over how good God had been to her and how much she loved him and how much she trusted him. She didn't know what the future hold. She didn't know what the future held, but she knew the one who held the future. You do understand the difference, right? She knew the difference. She knew 
that this life isn't all there is to life. And she knew that God loved her. So, if you have not been baptized and you want to talk about it, you want to come and talk to me or to Josh or to both of us about it, I'd love to talk with you about it. If you have been baptized and you have questions, I'm not sure about this and I'm, I don't even remember it. I wonder about this. And you want to come and talk to us about it? I would love to talk to you about it. But if there's a takeaway for today, it's this. This is God's way of saying, I love you. I love you. And there's nothing you're ever going to be able to do to stop me from loving you. I love you. So every time an infant comes here and I place my hand on that little baby's head and they're fussing or not fussing and their hands on their head and, there's, and I say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is making it clear that he claims them and he loves them. And it's true with a young person or an adult. That's the takeaway for today. My prayer for you is this. If you haven't been baptized, let's talk about it. If you have and got questions, let's talk about it. But my prayer for you is that you would simply do this. Offer a prayer of praise and thanksgiving to God for his extraordinary love. Extraordinary Offer a prayer of praise to him and say, God, I'm not sure I understand it all, but this is your way of saying you love me. And Lord, you've brought me through some doozy of things. And Lord, I just want you to know how much I love you. So, what will you say? What will you say about the one who has claimed you and has called you his own. What will you say? The little song says, and I won't sing it for you and you'll appreciate that. Jesus loves me, this I know. Well, the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. But he is strong. So maybe today, the best message is not one some preacher has pontificated. Maybe the best message is, Jesus loves me. Let's pray together for a moment. Almighty God, we thank you for tangible reminders of the extraordinary love with which you have loved us. We thank you, dear God, that when the water is before us, 
we're reminded that water doesn't save us. It is symbolic of the relationship with the one who does. Thank you, O oh God, for your extraordinary love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us so deeply. This we pray in the name of Jesus and all of his people said, Amen. We're going to close our word.